And we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Um, to this point, I was thinking about this the other day. This is a miracle. How many of you have been in church some during your life? Raise your hand. Okay, so you're going to believe this is a miracle. To this point in the book of Acts, we're, we're five chapters in. We're getting our start chapter 6. Do you know what we've not seen yet? We haven't seen any, like, people problems. Like, no horizontal problems. I mean, the only, I was thinking the only thing we've seen to this point was, remember we talked about the couple that gave the offering and then God killed them? <laughs> Which is always encouraging to share right before the offering, isn't it? Um, but we, we talked about that. But that was more of a, a vertical thing, right? That was, they were lying to God. But to this point, and this blows my mind, because, look, I've been in church. I was born basically on a pew. I mean, I was, from the day I was born, my, my dad was like, not really. I wasn't really born on a pew. That would have been some service, wouldn't it? I'm covered in the blood. <laughs> anyway, let's just move on quickly from there, shall we? But, you know, if you've been in church any amount of time in your life, you know if there's one thing the church has, it's people problems. Is that fair to say? As a matter of fact, some of you have not been in church in a long time. I know that because when we started the church, you would come and you would walk up to me and you would say, you know, I haven't been in church for months, years, and I like it here. It feels just so natural. But if we're honest, the reason why some of us take so long to get back in the church is because we know there are people in the church. I, I worked at a, um, at a Assembly of God church, so it's a Pentecostal church, so I'm going to throw a little bit of church um, jargon at you. I'll try to explain what I mean by that. But if you, if you ever attend a Pentecostal church, every now and then, You'll hear somebody, maybe they'll speak out in tongues, and there'll be somebody that gives a, a message of interpretation. But in this church, they did this thing called prophecy. And so prophecy was when somebody would stand up. I mean, they'd be, now this is in Columbia, South Carolina, right? So this is Redneck Village, okay? And everybody talks like this down there. Go Gamecocks, right? And, but when they give a word of prophecy, the talking like this turns into King James, for whatever reason, right? Thus saith the Lord, you know. And so he told me this story, this pastor I worked for. He said he had a, a couple ladies in his church. And one lady asked another lady if she could borrow one of her cooking pots. And that lady said, absolutely, sure, take it. So she took the pot and never gave the pot back. And it turned into this issue. And then one Sunday, he's in church as the pastor and he's they're doing worship you know and it gets real quiet and he heard one of the ladies and she gave a word and here's what it was thus saith the lord if you really love me you will return what is not yours <laughs> and then as he's trying to figure out what to do with that he heard the other lady say yay thus says the lord if you really love me you would forgive <laughs> what People problems. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. Church is full of people problems. And so it's a miracle, a small miracle, that we have gotten to this point in Acts and not seen any of that. But today, Acts chapter 6, we're going to run smack dab into a full-on potential church split. Now, if you're from the South, a church split is kind of like splitting your pants, right? It exposes stuff. And what happens is, it's not that half the church goes there and the other half goes there. It's 10% of the church go there and 10% go there and 80% say, I ain't never going back to church the rest of my life. That's a church split. And we're going to read in Acts chapter 6, the first opportunity 
that the early church had to potentially do that. Acts chapter 6. Think about this. Think about how different churches we know it would be if the early church leaders responded in the passage we're going to look at the way most churches respond today. Thankfully, they didn't. I think we can learn some stuff from what they did. Okay, so you've got your sheets. You're going to fill them out. You've got three P words, okay? And here's what we're going to look at. We're going to find out that there was a problem. We're going to find out that there was a plan. And then we're going to find out that there was a payoff, okay? Three P words. There was a, there was a problem. There was a plan. And there was a payoff. So let me read it to you first while you're writing down those three words and asking your neighbor what the second one was. Plan, yeah. Here's what it says, Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Verse 2, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. Verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert, a convert from Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So here we are. Here's the problem. In the very first sentence, we find a principle that all of us can agree on. Everybody say all. You don't even have to love Jesus. Aren't you glad? You don't have to even believe the Bible's true. Some of you may not even know if the Bible is true. You're like, you know, maybe it's just an old book. And some people wrote it, and now people, you know, like they, old preachers preach from it, and they get red in the face when they do, but I'm not really sure it's for me. You don't have to believe any of it. You don't have to believe that this is the Word of God. You don't have to believe in Jesus to agree on the principle that I'm getting ready to tell you is in the first verse. Here's what it says. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Here's the principle. Problems show up. When the numbers go up. Problems show up when the numbers go up. Now, we just know this is true just because we live, right? If you don't want to have any horizontal problems, here's the way to do it. Be a hermit. I mean, play, play the Tom Hanks character from Castaway. But don't get Wilson. No horizontal, if you don't have any horizontal problems, just live alone. Let your world revolve around you. Just let it revolve around you. The minute the number of people goes up, problems will show up. Here's what happens. How many of you are married? Yeah, see, you already know it's true. Because you were doing just fine by yourself. You were hanging out, just you. If I want to stay up until 1.30 eating cookie dough ice cream in my boxers, picking lint out of my butt button, I can. Right? And then you got married. If I want to have gas, I can, and you got married. And now you're like, can I, can I do that in front of her, him? I, I, I'm going to the bathroom. You know, you, your world 
she's over here and you're over here. And what happens? Your worlds start to collide. You find that you are sitting on the couch eating cookie dough ice cream in your boxers, picking lint out of the belly button, and next thing you know, her friend came over. Well, what are you doing here? Well, your, your wife invited me over. Didn't she tell you? Oh, well, she most certainly did not tell me. Am I sitting here with my boxers, picking lint out of my belly button? What do you think? I mean, this is what happens. And so you start to have conflict. Now, you bring another person in. Go to your family for a holidays. Now you got a room full of horizontal issues and they all start bumping up against each other. I got an idea. Plan a church in a coffee shop. Invite 100 people to come. Guess what you have? The potential for problems to show up. It's just a simple principle. It's not even spiritual. It's just truth. When the numbers Go up, problems show up. It's just a principle. We all know it's true. And so the early church saw this too. Their numbers went up, and no surprise at all, a problem showed up, and here was the problem. There were Greek Jews and there were Hebrew Jews. Here's what you have to know about both the Greek Jews and the Hebrew Jews. They both loved Jesus. Both of them loved Jesus. They both followed Jesus. Jesus. But one of the groups, it was the Greek Jews, they found that their widows were being overlooked. So the word for overlooked, it literally means to compare. So in the worst case scenario, I know y'all aren't widows, but it'd be like this. I'm comparing you two, and I just think you're better. I'll give you the food. And that's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is it was just crazy busy. Lots of people were coming. Number was increasing rapidly, and they simply just overlooked the widows. But the, the, the weird thing was, the ones that kept getting overlooked, they were from the same group. They were from the same, they were, they were all the Grecian Jews. And so they started to complain. You, you don't, it doesn't even matter if they, were, if they were overlooked on purpose, if they were overlooked by accident. Just the fact that they were overlooked is enough, isn't it? I mean, am I the only one that thinks that verse 1 sounds a lot like junior high P.E.? Maybe you were never picked last, but I was. And when you're picked last, sometimes you're not even picked. You just, I heard these words a lot in junior high. Give me Jenkins. Seriously? I mean, at some point, I just made them stop even saying my name. I'd just get down, I'd be the last one. I'd be like, I oh, know, I'm coming, I'm coming. I mean, sometimes you're, you're picked last because, like, everybody's really good and so are you, but you just happen to be the last one picked. Sometimes you just, by default, you're on their team. It does not feel good to be left out. No one likes to feel left. You know what? Because we're all breathing here, I would guarantee you this. Some of you sitting right here today right here in the gathering, in a church that we would like to think is welcoming and inviting, and we, we, we try to talk to everybody, not because we feel like we have to, but because we genuinely are thrilled you're here. Some of you are here already at 1120, and you feel left out just this morning. It just happens. And what I want you to understand, first of all, is we're not any different than the early church that made it into the Bible. I mean, they're in the book of Acts. Like, if there's a church that has it going on, 
I would say that's the church that has it going on because God said, basically, we're going to put this in the Bible so that all churches for all time can model themselves after you. And in verse 6, we read, all the people that really love Jesus still got their panties in a wad. They had a problem. And they didn't have a problem because they didn't love Jesus or because they weren't praying enough or because they didn't read the Bible or the scroll or whatever they had back then. They had a problem for one simple reason. The numbers were increasing. We face, as the leadership at the gathering, we face different issues now than we did when there were 20 people in our den. And if you go talk to some of the original 20 that were in my den and ask them, well, what's it like now? Here's what they'll say. Well, I love it now. It's different. It's not, a, it's, not an, it's not an indictment. It's just reality. When there were 12 in a room with Jesus, it was like, this is cool. Now there's, I mean, to this point, we've seen one day they had 3,000. Then every day God added to their number, and then suddenly we saw that they had jumped up to 5,000. This is not 12 in a room with Jesus singing Kumbaya anymore. Like when they say to Jesus, pass, uh, pass the bread, it would take a long time to get to them now. There's a, there's a couple thousand people in this, and that's just the men. It's a big deal, and it's not surprising. It shouldn't be surprising to us that when the number goes up, so problems start to show up. Problems always show up when the number goes up. Now, what did they do? They complained. I love the Bible because the Bible doesn't whitewash and, and sugarcoat stuff. It just says it like it is. They complained. I looked up the Greek for that word, and here's what it means. Murmur. That's a fun word to say. Try it. Everybody say, murmur. Doesn't it? It sounds like what it is, doesn't it? This is like a slow simmer. This is not like the, the widows didn't stand up and go, y'all don't ever feed us. What's your problem? You call yourselves Christians. I'll tell you something. That's not what was going on at all. They, that's not murmuring. Murmuring is behind the scenes. Murmuring is you get in the car and go, can you believe they didn't feed me again? Who they think they are? <laughs> Disciples. They said they walk with Jesus. Murmur is soft. It's slow. It's subtle. It's really hard to diagnose. People that stand up and start popping Z's at you, you can see that, right? You know, you can see that. You can deal with that. But people that just kind of murmur, they just kind of talk, that's harder to deal with. That's how they responded. Now, listen, I want you to kind of hold on to that until we get a little bit further into it because what you'll find out is that the leaders could have handled this differently than they did, and they would have been justified if they had. But they didn't. That's the problem. You with me so far? The problem is that there's a problem, that someone's getting left out. That as the people show up, as the problems show up, as the number goes up. So as the church is growing, people are starting to get left out. That's the problem. So here's the plan. Imagine this with me, okay? You're the leader in the early church. You have walked with Jesus. You have seen him do amazing things. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw people who were deaf begin to heal. Like he spit on somebody's tongue and they could talk. They have seen some stuff. And now, at the end of all of that... They're listening to somebody say, I'm not getting food. Let me just ask you a question. How would you handle that? Hmm. I know how we would handle it. 
We would say things like, you just need to pray more. If you really love Jesus, you would be okay getting fed last. Or my personal favorite, there's hungry children in this world that will not eat anything. You better be thankful you got some. They didn't do that. They didn't, they didn't respond that way because they understood what our big idea is. Here's the big idea today. Horizontal problems can't be solved without the right vertical priorities. That's a big sentence. We're going to break it down and make sure you understand it. Horizontal problems, the horizontal problems that we, we don't really have when we're by ourselves, but then you get married and now there's two of you and then you have kids and now there's a whole family and then you, your family gets together with another family or God forbid you on vacation, right? And now there's a bunch of you together and then you're in a church and it's like horizontal problems everywhere. They cannot be solved by just figuring out how to do this better. But that's what we do. I got a book you need to read. It's on how to communicate better because you are a bad communicator. And if you could just communicate better, we would get along. I got a message you need to hear. Preacher's talking about people with bad attitudes, and I need you to listen to it because you got a really bad attitude. And if you had a better attitude, we'd get along better. See, we try to solve horizontal problems horizontally, but you can't. They can't be solved that way. They can only be solved when we have the right vertical priorities. And that's what the leaders of the early church understood. If they didn't understand it, they would have made a huge error, and it would have been like throwing gas on a fire. Take somebody who's really left out and who's really hurt and who's really mad and tell them to grow up. I want to watch. Can I just do that? Can I watch you tell them that? Well, you just need to grow up. You just need to be more mature in the faith, brother. That's like gas on a fire. And we do it all the time because we try to solve it horizontally. If I could just say the right thing. Mm. These leaders, they knew, they knew we, we can't solve this horizontally. We've got to keep the right vertical priorities. And so here's what they did. Because they understood this, they did some pretty important things. In your notes, you've got, you know, just one, two, three. So this is all underneath the plan. And I want you, if you write down whichever ones you want to, I'm just going to throw a couple of them at you. Here we go. Number one, um, part of their plan was they didn't stop seeking God in order to start pleasing man. It would have been very easy to drop the vertical stuff to fix the horizontal, but they didn't. I, listen to what they said in verse 2. So the 12, the 12 would be the, the, the apostles, they gathered all the disciples together and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word and God in order to wait on tables. Now, listen, that sounds real snobby, doesn't it? You know what? What we're doing is we're too important for that. We cannot be bothered waiting on tables. I mean, I've been to Applebee's. I can't be bothered waiting. on. I I'm not a tea pour. I'm a seeker of God. That sounds really like elitist, you know? And what I want you to understand is that's not what they meant at all. I mean, goodness gracious, there's no way these guys, they've been with Jesus. He said, I did not come to serve, to, but to be served, but to serve. I came to seek and save the lost. They, they weren't, they had their feet washed by Jesus. These men knew what servanthood was about. It wasn't that they were above that. It was that what they had been called to do was a little bit above that. They said, look, we've been called, we know what we've been called. We've been called to seek God, to study the Word, and to deliver that to you. And we, 
cannot walk away from that in order to make sure these women get their food. They didn't stop seeking God in order to start pleasing man. They could have, but they didn't. Here's something. Um, if you're in any position in leadership, write this down. Leaders love to delegate, right? You've heard that word in business. Learn how to delegate, people. There's one thing you can't delegate, and it's your prayer life with God. You can't have somebody pray for you. I mean, you can ask them to pray for you, but I can't like, hey, Chad, I'll delegate my prayer life to you. If you can just take care of that, you and Jesus, for me, for me all the time, I'll never pray to God again because you've got that. You can't do that. But you can delegate making sure some widows get some food. You can delegate making sure tables get set up and cleaned. You can delegate a lot of things, but you can never delegate your prayer life with Jesus. They didn't minimize or magnify the problem. Instead, they heard it and addressed it. This blows my mind because they gave the complainers a voice. We don't usually do that, right? It's like, shut up! I don't want to hear any more. We're, the, we're the, the guy on Princess Bride, right? La, 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 la. And so I'm not listening. We don't like to give people a voice. But they gave the complainers a voice, and they didn't make them feel bad for feeling overlooked. Have you ever told somebody how you feel? Like, my feelings are hurt, and by the end of that conversation, you're apologizing to them for how you feel about how they left you out. Have you ever had that conversation? That's a weird conversation. Like, you actually went to tell them how you felt, kind of hoping they would apologize to you, and at the end, they felt so bad or whatever that you're kind of like helping them. You're like, wait a second, I thought this was about me. They gave them a voice. They didn't make them feel bad for feeling overlooked. They understood that when people are left out, they often speak out or act out, and so they didn't get offended by it. And that can only happen when the vertical is our top priority. Because when we are in prayer, we're studying the Word of God, we're seeking after God, when that, when that vertical is the top priority, God just begins to give us His heart for people. And God is for you. Look at the person next to you. God likes them. Are you amazed? He likes them. He's for them. He's for them. And when we spend time vertically with God, He gives us a heart that's for them too. And that's why these people could come and they were probably, they might have been ugly about it. Like, we are not getting the food to our widows. And they didn't get mad. They didn't, they didn't take it personally. They didn't get offended. They gave them the freedom to speak. They, they heard the problem. They addressed it. Um, I love this one. They chose fired up people over warm bodies. Here was the requirement. Brothers, choose seven men from among you. Thank you. We almost had to have the fire department come. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Have seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit of, and wisdom. So here's what they said. We need some people who can make sure that your widows are getting the food. And here's the requirements. We're going to let you pick them, but here's the requirements. Make sure that they're full of the spirit. Make sure that they have wisdom. And not only those two things, make sure that they are known for it. So this is not like you ever had a good Sunday and then followed by like three months of bad Sundays. Like I'm really close to Jesus. And then like for the next three months, not so much. These men were like this all the time. This is, we're talking about reputation. They had a reputation for being full of the Spirit. What is the requirement that we typically have today? Hey, are you breathing? 
if you're breathing, you could be you'd be a great deacon. You'd be a great whatever. Our requirement is like, are you just a warm body? We'll just stick you in a position and you can serve. They didn't do that. They found the best people, not just people who were alive and breathing. Um, they trusted the relationships the people had built by being together daily. We talk a lot about the other six, um, about not just having it be about Sunday, but being with each other on the other six days of the week. Think about this. I, as I studied this passage, I kept trying to find out, what does it mean by disciples? In verse 1 it says, when the number of disciples was increasing. And then it says again um, in verse 2, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together. Who were they gathering together? They were gathering together, wait for it, all the disciples. I, these are all the people that are following Jesus. And they turned to them and they said, we want you guys to choose seven from among you who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. Now, I don't know how you are, but like when we have elections and I go and I stand in the voter box, I'm good on the president, right? Like, I mean, I know who I'm voting for and I know what they're, who they are. Like when I see the names, I don't go, who's that? But we get down to like commissioner of soil conservation and it's like June somebody versus Ronnie somebody and I'm just kind of like, who? And I suddenly feel the weight, like, maybe I should have found out who these people were. Do I vote? Do I not vote? Do I just close my eyes? What do you do? Like, J comes before R? I mean, how do you decide? What I want you to get is, think about this. If I handed out sheets of paper right now to every one of you, and I said, our church needs leaders. We need seven men who are full of spirit and full of wisdom and have a reputation. They're known by people in the city as those kind of men. Go. I'm just going to guess. You might get one. You might get two. I don't know how far you get down before you start going. I, I suddenly realize I, I just don't know these people. Is that fair to say? That that's the typical experience in church. We know their faces on Sunday, but take the same face and put that face in Walmart and we'll walk right past them because we're not really sure if that, that looks like the person that comes to my church, but I don't know if that's them. What I want you to understand is in the church, in the early church, they had relationships together. They knew one another. If you don't take anything away from this, take that away. Know each other. Build relationships when our vertical priorities are right, we will give our time and our energy toward knowing the people who are following Jesus with us. And the early church did that. And here's the last thing underneath the plan. They trusted God's power instead of fearing man's. Here's what I mean by that. I would not have known this. I'm just going to confess I'm not smart enough, but I would not have known this if I had not read some commentaries. Okay? But here's what I found in every single commentary that I read. In verse 5 and 6, when they start naming the seven men, do you know what those names are? Those are Greek names. Now, follow me. We're in a church, the gathering, and we just divide it in half, over here and over here. And this half, because you are the rowdy group, okay, this half, they're coming to me going, I'll tell you, we got a real problem here because we're just not getting what we need to get. And we're getting left out, and that other half is getting all the stuff. And you're the pastor, so fix it. And I go, I like y'all a whole lot better, <laughs> you know. And so lots of times, because there's power, right? There's this vacuum of power. 
And so what happens is I go, if I'm a good leader, I go, okay, I hear you. I hear you. That's, that's a good plan. And I turn over here and go, fix it with me. Because I like them because they never complain. And I pick some of these people that I really think are great to help fix this problem. But do you know what they did? They did the exact opposite. I don't know if you know this about Abraham Lincoln. But do you know that when he was elected as president, do you know who sat on his cabinet? Everybody on his cabinet were people who had opposed him in the election. Now that takes some guts. That's like, we talk about people filling a room with yes men. He filled them with no men. I mean, there were men there, but you know what I'm saying. And so what they did in the early church, they trusted God's power instead of fearing man's. They said, you know what? Pick from among you seven men who were full of the spirit and wisdom. And you know who the people picked? They picked seven Greek men. They picked seven men from the side that was doing the complaining. And so they actually gave the power and authority to people who could, if they wanted to, flip the whole thing around and make sure that they got the food before they got the food. And in America today, nobody does that because we're scared that we'll lose power because we're afraid of man's power more than we understand and trust God's power. So they trusted God's power more than they feared man's. So that's the plan. So we had a problem, that was the plan, and here's the payoff, and then we'll be done. Their plan in a nutshell was to solve the horizontal problem with vertical priorities, and verse 7 shows us the result. Here's what it says. So the word of God spread. Everybody say spread. That's a great word. The word of God spread. So here's what I want you to get. I don't want you to miss this at all. What spread was what they made the main thing. Now, what if they had made the main thing the fight? Oh, you want, oh we'll decide who's going to. We'll put the widows. We'll make this little ring, a little cage. And we're going to put the Greek widows in there. And we're going to put the Hebrew widows in there. And we're going to ring a bell, ding. And they're going to fight it out. And we're going to sell tickets and fundraise for the church. What would have spread? Well, that is a mean church. You don't want to go there. And if you do go there, take a large woman with you who can fight. That, that's what would have spread. But the word of God spread. Why did the word of God spread? Because when this problem came up and they could have dropped the word of God, they could have dropped prayer, they could have dropped the vertical priorities and said, we're just going to deal with the horizontal stuff. They said, no, we're not going to stop praying. We're not going to stop reading the Bible. We're not going to stop teaching it. They elevated what, was ma what mattered the most. And so what they elevated is then in verse 7 what spread. The word of God spread. What we focus on is what will spread. And then it says the numbers of all the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So the, the payoff is that the word of God spread. The church continued to grow. And they didn't just grow, but they grew rapidly. I mean, this could have been like a speed bump for the early church. This could have been a wall for the early church. I mean, it could have gone no further than here. But instead, because they kept Jesus the main thing, it was fuel. It just, like rocket fuel. They just took off and then the one thing that gets me most excited i've never seen it before is that last phrase in verse seven and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith i want to make sure that you get what that means 
in Jerusalem, they have temples, right? They have synagogues, and they have these priests who would wear like these long flowing robes and dress like women, and they would have these things on their heads. I mean, not because they wanted to dress like women, but because that's what they wore back then. And they would like do all the religious functions, and they were up here, and then all the common people were down here. I mean, it was basically religion, right? Because that's what religion is. Few people have lots of power, and they don't even know if they really love Jesus. They're just doing what they're supposed to do. And so if there's a problem in the, in the priest's world, if there's a problem in the synagogues, that is solved with power. It is solved with horizontal power. No, no, no. I'm the priest. I got the power. Shut up. Go get five more goats, and we'll kill them, and maybe you'll get forgiveness. That's how they would solve the problem. But these priests who were already committed at least to a religious lifestyle saw how the early church handled problems, horizontal problems, and something about what they saw was so powerful. Don't miss the fact that a large number of priests, religious people, became obedient to the faith. You know what's going to change this city? It's not going to be a whole block full of orange Christmas trees. I mean, that's going to be cool, and I love them. But that's not going to change the city. What's going to change the city? Well, I'll tell you what will change the city. If we become the perfect church, what's the perfect church? We know a church where everybody gets along. We're all like Smurfs, singing the little Smurf song. And that's not going to change the city. You know why? Because you know people that are always happy, don't you? Shake your head yes if you do. And you know what you always think about those people? Are they really always happy? It's not really real. How do you find out if it's really real? When they have a bad day and they're still happy. That's how you find out. You know what's going to change this city? When they see real people, real people horizontally bump up against other real people horizontally who get their feelings hurt because when the numbers go up, the problems show up. And suddenly they realize, wait a second, this is not the end of the world because we're going to continue to seek our Father and have His heart and He's going to give us grace and love and we're going to take that and we're going to give it horizontally. And there's something about that that changed the hearts of hard-hearted religious men. And that's what we need in this city. That is the payoff. So here's a few takeaways. If you want to write them down, you can just write this down. As we grow, problems will come up. We've already talked about that. This shouldn't surprise us. It should drive us to have God's heart more and more. The lack of problems does not prove our spirituality. Rather, it is always how we handle them. And then the vertical fuels the horizontal. Let me tell you why we forget that. Because the vertical is invisible. You can't really see it. I mean, you don't I mean, you can see somebody, like, on their knees praying, but you can't see the words going up and down, like, on some kind of ladder. You know, that'd be, if that, if that happened, it'd be a lot more fun. We'd probably pray more. We'd pray like this. That's cool. Wow. With a black light and everything, the words are, like, glowing. But you can't see it. It's invisible. So the vertical things that are really the most important are the hardest to see. And so we don't want to put our time on those because does prayer really do anything what do you mean? I don't need to pray. I don't, I don't, I need to fix it, fix it, fix it. And the early leaders said, no, 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 no. We'll, we're going to keep, 
we're going to keep praying. We're going to keep the priorities right, and we're going to ask God to show us the people that are already full of this that can then go and help fix this. The vertical fuels the horizontal. So how do you apply this? I'd like to give you some really magic answer that you're going to love, like go get a BMW and drive around listening to really awesome Christian music. But instead, I'm going to tell you that you need to pray more. I'm going to tell you that you need to study the Word of God more, that you need to spend time with God more, hearing His heart and receiving His heart. And then, only then, will you be ready to handle the horizontal problems that I guarantee you are going to come your way.